for me united is just a name not a team so many so so i united so why ac milan you you briefly you talk about ac milan in general why ac milan though? as i said earlier in my previous podcast that there's nothing better than pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and learning from the experts earning their opinion so growing up two sports to which i was really drawn to were cricket obviously and then tennis maybe because it's uh, my father likes the game and we played every now and then also so for me it's a joy or it's because this is the game that has lots of lots of lessons i'm sure a lot of people look up to novak djokovic roger federer rafael nadal or in the past boris becker Andrea Garcia, Ivan Lendl, Jimmy Connors, lots of names but I look up to because for their work ethic and their joy for playing. So for me today's podcast which is really special I would say which I recorded with Christian uh well in many ways it was joy because he recently covered the Australian Open attending a lot of press conferences uh which I'm sure was joyful moment for him. Christian Montagan who is associated with the first serve and the inner sanctum as a sport journalist covering many sports. as i said got the privilege to cover australian open recently so dive into this conversation with me and i'm sure you'll have a privilege of getting to know athletes a little more deeply which christian is sharing with us let's let's jump now so how have been man how is everything going in melbourne right now uh yeah same old uh obviously in terms of the weather and stuff uh summer times almost almost service so uh you know it yeah it's 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 yeah it's been interesting even with the tennis as well having to customize you know plays leaving overseas you know getting used to the time zones the european time zones they're playing some tournaments in dubai mexico so yeah it's a shame that they're not still here playing in australia in our time zone but um yeah we're going good um while well, just coming here i just researched about you and just got to know that you're ac milan fan don't you yeah yeah big <laughs> milan fan yeah big italian league fan um yeah supporting and since i was about 7 or 8 years old you know idolizing some of the big players over there uh yeah kaka uh inzaghi pirlo all these players these top players obviously not the same club you know less money now involved in the club but yeah still love it So yeah Australian Open cuz I have a lot to discuss uh, with you uh, in in reference with tennis uh, actually if you remember I texted you initially and said I we want to discuss cricket as well but you said cr- tennis is something that you are more interested in the other sports right yeah which is somehow important I'll tell you what happened in India India is all about um, uh, all sports but more predominantly cricket right because the population who plays cricket a lot and Uh, actually knows cricket a lot rather than other games which uh, i think it's a wrong move right because you yeah. have to expand your horizons and know other games as well so it's it's important thing so yeah, yeah. tennis australian open and your press conferences i want to talk about everything so if you remember yeah. you cover a lot of press conferences right uh, how how was your experience first and then we move to the domestic level as well in the tom- uh, tennis in australia so with your covering press conferences talking to other people different personalities right yeah definitely how is it yeah def- how is it yeah definitely for sure i mean it was obviously my first time you know having a media accreditation over there um first time you know interviewing players going to press conferences so yeah completely new experience for me and you know you touch on the personality someone like Daniel Medvedev he'll just speak his mind and say whatever he wants so 
players like that. You need those personalities in the game. They just open up. They say, you know, what they think. And, um, yeah, I mean, to interview players like Djokovic was a, a surreal experience, you know, 24-time Grand Slam champion. It was, yeah, again, very surreal. But, uh, I mean, yeah, just the way it was all set up, um, the way it was all organised, just to be in that environment, have that experience behind me, yeah, very valuable. So Novak Djokovic, right over there, and uh, what what the conversation you had with him, with the press conference, um, which happened, yeah. Yeah, so obviously there's other media uh, people in there asking questions. I was fortunate enough to ask a question to him, and I think just trying to remember back to my question, um, I asked him something along the lines of, you know, obviously he's about 36 years of age now, so I just asked him, is this sort of you know it was a convincing win after i interviewed him so i asked him the question you know is after all these sort of convincing wins there's a come a time where you know family and stuff you know are more important priorities in life and you know he's obviously won everything and he said yeah he's still um motivated to continue on keep breaking records but he said the more time goes on that he's missing his family more which i thought was very striking um so that could suggest that you know maybe he's feeling that bit of extra pressure, um, you know, getting the questions in about whether, you know, is he going to retire or not, having to, um, you know, sort of deal with all that that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, I think Djokovic will definitely last at least another couple of years. I think he's still got a lot left in the tank. I mean, he won the US Open last year, the last Grand Slam of 2023. So, I mean, obviously not his best performance at the Australian Open. You had the likes of Yannick Stinner, um, a young star coming through the ranks. He's you know, sort of burst onto the scene. And, yeah, I mean, for Djokovic, though, it's not sort of downward spiral from here, I don't think. Still got a, a lot left more to give. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes for the rest of the season. Uh, I would love to know about Jack Sinner also, because Janik Sinner is somehow, obviously, you said a growing name. And we, the same thing which we saw about uh, Carlos Alcaraz as well, uh, which we also saw is a diff form also, right? But when it comes to Janik Sinha, recently I just uh, just reading your article and got to know that I think it's 17-0 undefeated streak. Uh, correct, uh, yeah. Yeah, Janik Sinha, uh, I think against Alex, right? Alex at the uh, Roth. Yeah, so, correct. talking about youngsters, talking about youngsters when it comes to Janik Sinha and especially Carlos Alcaraz. I'll, I'll come to Janik Sinha as well, but I want to know about Car- uh, Carlos Alcaraz first, right? You you also uh, just wrote an article about Janik's uh, Carlos Alcaraz as well. Where you said yep. after Wimbledon, we saw a dipping form, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. According to you, as a journalist, what what sort of observance you have uh, for him? Like, what is going wrong with him in the recent years, in recent months? I would say, um, as a journalist. Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything. I mean, in terms of you know. I think he hasn't really nailed down a full consistent 12 months where you can say, you know, for the likes of Djokovic, for example, you know exactly what you're going to get from him each tournament. And for Alcaraz, he's, you know, we can't forget that. He's already won two Grand Slam titles. It's like we sort of got this massive high expectation of him when he's still so young. 21, he's 21 right now, right? Yeah, 21, 21 I think. Yeah. So and I'll tell lot. you one thing. I'm sorry, I'm just interrupting right now. You said about uh, you said about uh, Novak Djokovic, who is 37 years old. The last yeah. year when he won, uh, that I think uh, he he came in the finals, right, against uh, Carlos Alcaraz in Wimbledon. He said yeah. 36 is the new 26. He said that yeah. 36 is the new 26. So he's 26 right now. 
maybe yeah. 27. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, you're saying something, yeah. You're saying yeah, something. yeah, no, no, oh, no, you're right. But I mean, yeah, like what I was saying before, I mean, he just needs to find that consistency, not just in his form, but his body as well. He's been picking up a few injuries. He rolled his ankle, I think, last week. Uh, I believe it was the Argentinian Open, if I'm not mistaken. So it's little niggles like that. I mean, towards the end of the year last year as well, he suffered a few defeats that you think, oh, you know, he should be winning those games. And that's yeah. perhaps, you know, he uses a lot of energy on the court, you know, moving around, use his pace. Perhaps he's not conserving his body properly for a whole 12 months. And that's sort of the reason why after Wimbledon, which was, you know, mid-year, that July period that, you know, we sort of experienced that, saw that drop off from him. And if he's able to, you know, get together with his coach and fitness team and try and, uh, you know, gather a, a better strategy as to how to manage the body, uh, you know, fitness-wise, just to prolong, I guess, you know, like I said, just getting a great full season under his belt because, you know, even as well, the pressure on him. I mean, I remember when he won the US Open a couple of years ago, he actually beat Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals, but Sinner had a match point. So, I mean, Djokovic wasn't involved in that tournament because of the vaccine uh, rules. I mean, if Sinner won that US point, yeah if, yeah, if Sinner won that point, then you'd be saying, uh, you know, Sinner's the next big thing, he's a Grand Slam champion, but Sinner was actually under the radar coming into this show and open all the focus on Alcaraz. And here we are, you know, him underperforming. So, yeah, interesting to see um, if he can, you know, pick up and improve for 2024. Yeah, 2024. We have to talk about Nick as well. Nick, obviously, Nick is something which I'm also following when it when he came, uh, I think, 2022, if I'm not wrong, when he played against Novak Djokovic uh, in finals, right? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wimbledon. And obviously, from there, I started uh, falling. And also, his career saw a lot of drawbacks, a lot of dip. I, I would love to talk about that. But before that, I want to know how... And he's Australian, by the way. So, for you, it's also a big thing. How tennis works in Australia, I would love to know. Because every place in the country have a different sort of sets and rules, right? We have different competitions. What about Australia? How Australia treat tennis players? I want to know from you. Yeah, I mean, to sort of answer in a different way, I think sort of the development phase of players coming through is a bit different here in Australia in the sense that, you know, our top players in, you know, for the men's, for example, we've got Alex Diminor, who's now ranked in the top 10. I think he's number nine at the moment uh, on the live ranking. So he developed all his t tennis skills, you know, playing in Spain. And, yeah. you know, there's sort of a lack of, I guess, you know, not a development, I want to say, but sort of a development in the sense that to get to that top 10 level. And obviously he experienced, you know, most of his tennis life in Spain. We know how many good Spanish players this Spain have produced over the years. And Australia just can't seem to, I guess, since the days of Leighton Hewitt, can't seem to produce, you know, their own sort of, um, you know, top players, um, you know, on the world stage. And, you know, Isla Tomlanovic, again, on the women's side, Grew up a lot in Croatia, learned to tennis there. I mean, Australia does have, I think, you know, 10 or 11 plays in the top 100 in the men's, but they're all circling around, you know, top 50, 70, top 80, you know, but where's the sort of next step to break through and, you know, challenge the very elite? So I think that's where you know, the talent development phase perhaps is sort of lacking in sort of the grassroots area, um, you know, the junior development phase. And yeah, it's an interesting discussion. 
uh, as I said, when uh, was remember that question paper that I have for you initially when I just want to know from you, right? Yeah. All the questions. Yeah. Before yeah. I just want to take this as a reference because obviously I want an open-ended conversation, not yes and no, but still yeah. I really want to discuss all these sort of things, right? As I said yeah. about Nick Corgis, so let's 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 talk about Nick Corgis first, right? Nick Corgis did really well uh, till the Wimbledon thing, and obviously after that we we is uh, we normally we see him in the commentator box recently in Australian Open, right? With a full-on yeah. entertainment and every sort of a thing. So. Uh, but he fallen a lot of times, right? Knockout finals, a lot of times knockouts. Uh, obviously, you mentioned about his uh, injuries, right? Uh, if you remember your interviews also, when you talk about uh, his injuries. So, what about that? I would love to know your insights on this, like how Nick Krigos uh, you see in the future. Uh, yeah, obviously, like you said, after that Wimbledon final against Djokovic, you know, he tasted a bit of, you know, the Grand Slam final sort of environment. You know, perhaps people were saying, you know, the talent's wasted. He'll never get to the top again. And I think once Nick realized that, okay, I really can compete with the best because we know he does have the talent. Uh, he does have the potential. It's always been about the mental side of the game and whether he can you know, control his emotions on the court, which has always let him down in the past. Um, and then after that Wimbledon final, you know, there was a sense that, okay, he's going to get back on the right track. He's going to sort of compete hard. He's going to focus on his body which was the case, you know, for the next few months after that. But then U.S. Open happened. I believe he made, it was either the quarters or the semis of the U.S. Open, and then he suffered a bit of an injury. And then after that, he just hasn't been able to recover since. And, you know, we've seen, you know, with the likes of Alcaraz with injuries, like we explained before, it's tough to get back, you know, a consistent playing level. I know they're two different players, but, you know, in Kyrgios' case, he's nearing you know, the age of 30. So time isn't on his side. You know, compared to a player like Alcaraz. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to Nick whether he wants to, you know, pursue his passion of tennis, you know, keep playing at the very top. Does he still feel he can win a Grand Slam? Because, like I said, he has the talent to do it. But mentally, you know, is he capable of, you know, screwing his head on, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, we are discussing a lot of things about tennis. Uh, obviously, the, this is a question which I actually have to ask you first. But how your journalism started with sports, man? I just want to know from you because obviously uh, for everyone, I also ask this because everyone uh, have a different answer about sports journalism, how they came to sports journalism, right? Because there, yeah. there are a lot of reasons and a lot of times sports journalism comes naturally to you. You are not going with it. Yeah, I mean... Obviously you're an Australian, always. I know. You're an Australian, so I know that this is somehow in your genes. Yeah. Before that, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like you touched on. I mean, Australians are known for their sport and their love of different supporting different codes. I mean, over here we've got Australian rules football, uh, you know, rugby league, cricket's big as well over here. Our soccer yeah. and tennis are usually one of the lowest sports. Actually, there's other sports ahead of it. But yeah, like growing up, I've always enjoyed sport. Um, it's funny because I actually started. You know, starting business at RMIT and then sort of had a, a bit of a change of heart, writing articles on the side, just a bit of a passion. And then, yeah, that sort of grew into uh, pursuing a, a career in, in journalism. So hopefully, um, you know, all goes well, still learning the craft, still trying to get the experience under my belt. But, yeah, it's been obviously a great experience so far, even with the Australian Open, for example, um, with the media accreditation, just to get that taste of, you know, real-life yeah. journalism. It's very invaluable and, yeah, very honoured to have that privilege to, to to cover the Australian Open, you know, one of the biggest, um, you know, tournaments in tennis, if not the biggest. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a slow, it's a slow grind. Um, 
enjoying it and yeah looking forward to seeing where it takes me yeah yeah i think look for me when i'll tell you about mine so for me uh, when it comes to journalism obviously it started with sports cricket first initially and uh, because like i said it's big here and when it comes to other sports as well so for me i play tennis as well i play tennis yeah. i play tennis eventually now as well the lawn tennis games because we have a area in the campus where we have a lot of options to play. Yeah. so uh, before i started i also because my dad used to watch a lot of matches of boris becker the past players right yeah. uh, the golden boy boris becker boris becker and eventually when i got to know what andrea garci the recent one right the 1990 91s got to know actually so i was born after 2000 but eventually got to know these players are really massive man you know andrea yeah. garcia's game is just he's like a novak Djokovic of uh, his time right yeah definitely. and then roger federer rafael nadal we saw a lot of names after that which is actually cliche now to discuss about roger federer rafael nadal yeah. okay so for us it's it's a uh, uh, for me it's a big name and eventually tennis started and other sports as well but uh, predominantly uh, tennis and cricket is something which i always follow right and then suddenly there a lot of bombast happened when we saw uh, the guy who won 24 times Wimbledon champion Novak Djokovic. So it, it's it's a, obviously it's it's fortunate that we born in an era we can see the lot of games. Nothing yeah, better sure. than that. Yeah. So journalism is something which obviously excites me because you are the first person who gets an information rather than you know you are not the second one. You are actually the yeah. provider. So be the provider and do the best work. That's what we can exactly. do right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so Novak Djokovic, before we move forward, uh, like we discussed about uh, Nick Krogas' career, right? Nick Kyrgios. Uh What's it? What's his uh, surname? Can you just give me a nice brief? It's uh, Krigos, right? Kyrgios. Kyrgios. Yeah. So it's just it's difficult for me to pronounce right now. <laughs> so Novak Djokovic. Uh, look, yeah. uh, you know, when we see any players in any uh, walk of life, any sports, age of 36, 37 is an age. Where we see a lot of dip when it comes to health, right? Yeah. He is healthy. He can play a lot. No issues about that. But still, it's a fact that we see a lot of uh, uh, lack of reflexes. You know, the lot of technique flaws. We we started to you know criticize about a lot of things. And eventually, as our age, it's also we saw a lot of disease in the performances, any sports. And uh, what we see first, we see first uh, the player who actually uh, winning a lot of games suddenly. Yes, he won, like you said, US Open. But how you see Novak Djokovic's career in future? If you, if you can ask you. Novak Djokovic is somehow a big name, by the way. So I mean, it's interesting because for those who aren't sort of familiar with tennis, you know, there's obviously tournaments every single week of the year, basically. So it's made the December period where players have a bit of a break and then return in January. So players yeah. can obviously choose, especially when you're top ranked, like Djokovic has been number one. You can pick and choose which tournaments you want to you want to compete in and you know the past couple of years Djokovic has decided okay I'm gonna be smart about it. I'm gonna manage my body better I think last year he only entered in about roughly I think it was maybe 13 or 14 tournaments which isn't a whole deal you know compared to some other players who uh compete you know double even more more of that you know throughout a 52 week um season so I mean yeah in that respect I guess if Djokovic isn't playing enough tennis and he continues on that trend, I worry for him a bit in the sense that, you know, just that match sharpness, you know, once you get older, obviously the talent is always going to be there. But, you know, once the body gets older, physically, he's not 
going to be the same, whether people like it or not. You know, he's human at the end of the day, you know. So there's always going to be that bit of a drop-off. And I just feel with the likes of you know, Sina, Alcaraz, so many other youngsters coming through, seeing his 18-year-olds, uh, Jakub Menzik as well, young Czech guy coming through in Dubai, uh, made the final. Yeah, so so many players. And I think Djokovic now, at his age, again, has to sort of, I guess, start over again in the sense that he's got to learn, I mean, the techniques and the styles of play all these new players to try and keep up. And that's going to get overly difficult as time passes by. But that's not to say that, you know, Djokovic isn't going to, you know, progress deep into tournaments in the next 12 to 24 months. I still think he's capable of making a few more Grand Slam finals, potentially winning a couple or more. But he's definitely not going to have an easy ride, that's for sure. Uh, it's it's interesting you said about talent uh, is going to be there always, right? So yeah. uh, I remember I was listening to an Olympian, Olympian from India. He won a gold medal in 2008, 10 meter air rifle, Abhinav Bindra. When he retired in 2014, he said uh, a lot of people ask that you are just 32, 33. Why you uh, you just chose to retire? He said I recognize my fading talent. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a fact that uh, how many how much talented you are. There's always one person who is going to be one step ahead for you, a youngster. Yeah. Right? If you know how to chip it a bit, it's okay. It's fine. You can actually, you know, somehow it's better to enjoy the game. I think Novak is on that phase where he had he have to he wanted to enjoy more games rather than winning games, right? Yeah. Like we talk about Rafael and uh, Roger Federer at one point of a time that he just want to play, right? And that's yeah. what gives more uh, satisfaction rather than winning a lot of games. As a journalist, we want to see and we want to be a critique a lot of times, but it's a fact that as a sportsman, a lot of times they just want to play rather than just winning the games. It's a yeah. fact, right? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, from past 15 years, if you have 24 Grand Slam, you definitely want to win 25, but still it's fine. 100%. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I want to know, Christian, about, uh, about uh, look, so for my listeners, are you aware about the financial structure about these opens? Like uh, how anyone can enter? If you can just give me a basic. I know about that. Or how anyone can select. You said about pick and choose the top players, the top ATP ranker players who can get into, choose uh, which tournament they want to play or which tournament they don't want to play. So if you can give me, uh, my listeners a small brief that how people get selected to these all the opens. Yeah, yeah, it all depends on the on their ranking. So obviously, there's different tournaments. There's you know, so ATP is the men's, WTA is the women's. So, for example, taking the men's, um, for instance, you know, there's ATP 250 tournaments where if you win that tournament, you get 250 ranking points. ATP 500, then 1000, which is considered as you know probably the biggest tournaments besides the Grand Slams, which. You know, if you win a Grand Slam title, you win 2,000 ranking points. So, obviously, you know, for a Grand Slam, for instance, uh, I think it's the top 90 or 100 players that automatically get into the main draw. And then after that, same as any other tournament, the rest have to qualify to get in. Uh, so, that might be either two or three rounds of qualifying to get in, depending on the tournament. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, with the prize money as well, it just varies. The Grand Slam is ridiculous now. Australian Open was over... I think $4 million in prize money for both the men's and women's, which is ridiculous. Um, so much money involved. But, but yeah, like I said, and, and you touched on before, um, it's just about, you know, picking and choosing your moments when to play because having to play every single week, it does take a toll on the body and you have to sort of be smart in that sense to, 
to manage your schedule properly. And some players are actually better than doing it at, than others. You know, some players get a bit eager and ahead of themselves, wanting to keep pushing forward and play, get their ranking up where, you know, they should be thinking, you know, conserve themselves and look for, look ahead to the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Ariana Sablinka as well. You know, the player who is actually... So, like I said, like in the question, if you can see that, uh, for me, it's like a Serena Williams who's uh, upcoming Serena Williams. I yeah. saw a lot of uh, her reels. Always fun mood, like Serena Williams was when, uh, on her days. Obviously, a lot of people talk about his uh, like forward technique as well, you know, the forehand shot we talk about. Uh, I think you also covered Ar- uh, Ariana press conference as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, but then. How was it? How was it? Uh, like I said, different personality, different experiences. So, for you covering Ariana's performances and the press conferences, uh, what sort of insights do you have for her? Yeah, even covering her that tournament, you could tell there was a sense of, you know, that pressure taken off her shoulders yeah. because recently the year before, she had just claimed her first Grand Slam title. And before that, there was always pressure on her to perform and win these Grand Slams. There's a sense wins. of positivity as well, right? There's a sense of yeah, positivity over there, right? Yeah, exactly. And you see in those viral videos that you know, her dancing on the court, just a yeah. different mood. Yeah, she's very happy. Um, and that's what you need as a player, you know. It's a very individual sport. It can be isolated. You need that bit of fun as well. It can't all be serious. And that's the way she manages it. That's her sort of coping mechanism for it. And obviously, it's worked, you know. She's won another showing open title. Um, yeah, even in the press conferences, she was, yeah, very nice to, to all the journalists, um, you know, speaking her mind, what she thinks, um, looked very relaxed. And, yeah, if you relax like that off the court, you know you're going to bring that 99 times out of 100 onto the court. And, yeah, she looked very like herself. And, yeah, great to see her playing some of her best tennis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, I think, uh, look, I, like I said, Serena Williams, for me, it's just like a new, uh, you know, Ayana over there. Dude, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, Linda Pace. You know about Linda Pace, right? The Indian tennis player, right? Linda Pace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I remember he was talking about the prize money over there. When it comes to prize, sometimes what happened because, like you said, it's an individual sport, right? It's an individual sport where sometimes because you have to pay uh, for your hotels as well, the accommodations as well, and also uh, coaches as well. Like if you have an Andrea Gazi as a coach, like Novak Djokovic had in the past, you have to pay up millions and millions of dollars, right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a look. It's an expensive game, uh, you know, at the end of time. It's an expensive game, right? So, do you see how, when it comes to any lower middle class or any any people who are from Australia, uh, are there facilities are for, from the government which they provide for the players, like any scholarships or any sort of a things for the upcoming uh, tennis talent? Um, I think there might be a couple of scholarships offered, but tennis is a sport where you've got to really make it on your own. I mean... There's sort of a dispute between, you know, the top 150 to 200 players in the world racking up most of the prize money and got the, the lower players in the rankings. They've got to pay for their own accommodation, their own flights, pay for their own equipment, pay their coaches. Some of these players don't claim to afford to have their own coach and, you know, how are you supposed to survive and, you know, make it, you know, into the top elite when, you know, sort of the top players are being sort of handed, handed it to them on a platter, you know. So I guess that's... Uh, it's a yeah, it's a very interesting sort of dynamic as to where to draw that line because you know we need to be helping these future stars as well. Not everyone is born rich. Um, yeah. You know we need to help these players as much as possible, and 
There's even an ATP Players Council in the men's where Novak Djokovic and another player called Vasek Pospisil is leading that charge and sort of, you know, they're actually helping these these younger players, these lower-ranked players to to sort of, you know, gain more rights to, you know, more freedom financially to help them, um, you know, pursue or give them a better chance to pursue a tennis career. So, I mean, it's funny because Djokovic is, I guess, competing against these players. Yeah, he's helping them at the same time. So, yeah, very interesting dynamic. I think uh, Novak Djokovic uh, and his wife have a foundation, right? Djokovic Foundation? Correct, yeah. I would like to ask about sports uh, betting as well. I think sports betting is something which is also an important part of Olympics game. I said why. I, I'll tell you why. In England, a lot of times, crowdfunding money works. When uh, you see that a lot of Olympic medals we see from the Indian rowing team and other sort of corporates and crowdfunding um, provides an infrastructure. Crowdfunding as in sports betting money. What yeah. about Australia? How Australia sees sports uh, sports betting? It, same word, right? Sports betting or gambling. Yeah, yeah, same thing. It's pretty big over the, here actually. Um, yeah, at the same time, you're right what you said with everything there, but... Now, we need to make sure that there's no sort of corruption involved, this sort of thing, because we have seen in tennis, um, you know, specifically over the past few years, that there has been a couple of match-fixing scandals, this and that. So Match-fixing? Yeah, that's where, across the world, not in Australia, but that's, that's where I can get a bit, a bit prickly in that sense. But, yeah, I mean, obviously you need funding and sponsors, that sort of thing, which they do provide. Um, but, yeah, nothing much else to add, really, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, just with Indian tennis in general, you've got a couple of players. You've got Bupana, who won the doubles with the Australian Matt Ebden at the Australian Open. You've got Summon the Gull playing really well in the men's singles, I guess. How is the development of tennis in India? You know, how sort of that that de- development sense is that do you have a lot of courts to, you know, to, to train on all this, the financial side of it? How is all that going in India? Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's totally individual sports, right? Individual sport, like any other Olymp- lot of times, lot of Olympic sports are individual, so the same as it is, right? It's an individual sport where if you have a passion, if you have a talent, then like uh, when I was asking about the government funding, so yes, because of the tournaments that we uh, we we do a lot of times, especially after 2018, 2017, we uh, we have a lot of tournaments like Halo India. With which we actually cover talents from the younger side, right? Under 13, under 15. We nurture those talents, which which actually helped you, I think. You know, and that's what you need from uh, the country, right? Talking about tennis grounds. Yes, we do have a tennis grounds, but for that, you have to go to stadiums, right? Yeah. Uh, you can go to clubs as well, like a different normal, you know, gymkhanas we say in India. Gymkhanas means in the club, you know, uh, the clubs yeah. for the recreation club in general, right? Yeah. And if you play well, if you can practice over there, okay. Uh, when it comes to, like I said, in my campus, in my where I live, we have a tennis grounds over there, so we can go and play over there. Things are nice, but the same one of a time because India is uh, India is actually a cover three layers: rich, upper middle class, and lower middle class. You know, the lower classes, yeah. and that is actually an issue. And this is a reason I really want to know about Australian side because somehow. In Australia, in other part of our country, we see a lot of scholarships provided by government. Like I said, the crowdfunding also uh, involved in it to help this young talents who don't have a money around it. And that is something which, you know, it actually hurts a lot of time to a lot of people. Because you have a talent, but you don't have a money. Then what will you do? Yeah. To it? 
and this is something which is a huge subjective matter in all over the country where people actually uh lose the sport because they don't have a money yeah. so this is something which i'm actually looking at it right because obviously for me to discuss about this and if you can generate an answer so you can actually help the government man right yeah. i think better than that if i get an answer from you then definitely i'll write and say oh christian help me in this just just provide this maintenance <laughs> over there sure i think i mean even soccer as well i mean obviously india participated in the asian cup last year how is that sort of growth for you going because obviously with your population I so think, when it comes yeah. to uh, like talk about soccer comes to soccer we see a development after isl every uh, and that's what christian i always mentioned that we have a B, you have a bbl right big bash league to generate to develop cricket as well yeah. okay when it comes to uh, football in india we have ipl for cricket so after just seeing that how, what ipl can do for you financially and also uh, generate a develop a develop lot of talented players right yeah isl really helped in the soccer field for india a lot of times you know when we see sunil chhetri doing well for india because now he can play more games now he is more busy with the games rather than just uh, looking for the game because india don't play in a football world cup right yeah. and which actually it's a difficult situation for a lot of people you know after like what's in your bag if you don't play world cup like if you play world cup then you have a time to prepare and if you don't yeah. so you, you can in, indulge in a lot of matches so nothing better than that what about australian soccer man australia play a lot of domestic yeah we've got, yeah got the first tier the in the domestic competitions just named the a league um we're having the second division come in in the next year or two um you know, this a league started back in 2005 when we had you know the old national soccer league the nsl where you'd have sort of more community based clubs whereas now in the a league it's more just city based you know you've got the melbourne adelaide and it's only a 12 team competition now with a few more teams you know coming into the fold um you know getting expanded from scratch so yeah we're still building on that front but in terms of the development you know the youth is really promising we've got a lot of players playing overseas for a few european clubs um not the same as you know back you know 20 odd years ago when we had you know Mark Viduka Harry Kiel all these players um these Aussies playing in the premier league it's not to that same caliber but you know we're getting there and i think on the rankings we're about 23rd so i mean off the top of the the last world cup we had it was pretty positive making the round of 16 first time since 2006 so um yeah there's positive signs there i think there's a lot of good youth coming through got um Nestor Irankunda you know just signed for Bayern Munich um just you know a few months ago Joe Gauci signed for Aston Villa so these are players that all came from the A league so i mean if you got producing players there that are you know overseas clubs are interested in then we must be doing something right so um yeah very positive on that on that front yeah recently you saw the game against Liverpool versus United recent one yeah uh, yeah Liverpool yeah. won thankfully Liverpool won i'm a huge Liverpool fan obviously not the last year because when last year they played united won the english premier league right yeah, yeah. i i i i i love manchester united when uh, when i you know when i saw a lot of games about david beckham and alex ferguson i think these mm-hmm. two uh, one coach and one player did really well for the team but after yeah. uh, beckham departs 
for me united is just a name not a team so anyways so so i united <laughs> no man no so why ac milan you you briefly you talk about ac milan in general why ac milan though um just growing up i guess in italian background um i've never been the biggest premier league fan just more focusing on serie a italian league you know, growing up watching champions league um and milan was obviously one of the biggest clubs in the world back then uh you know won a couple of champions league titles had all a lot of you know world-class quality players in their team just people you, you idolize you know and you you look up to and sort of makes you follow the game and want to play it which is the case for me and uh and yeah once that happens you sort of get involved and you start supporting them and then from there sort of just it's like sort of your second nature really just to get up every week and watch them um you know suffer the highs and lows of everything um but yeah i mean it's for every club really there's always going to be you know, the peaks and then you're going to have to suffer, um, you know, the downtimes as well. But uh, it's all part and parcel of being a fan, I guess. I think uh, Argentina versus France came in 2022 when, uh, you know, the keeper, E. Martinez, if I'm not wrong, right? I think E. Martinez, uh, because of E. Martinez, I actually fell in love with Aston Villa as well. Aston Villa is doing really well. And obviously, E. Martinez obviously improved. Uh, your memories about the 2022 World Cup, if you remember anything, game, uh, Australia, yeah, France versus Argentina, and that that keeping, if you remember, you know, that keep uh, that one. I think Mbappe hit the shot when uh, he just dragged his leg and he actually helped the in the game. Yeah, I think it was Colomani uh, um, who missed that the one on one. Your memories about that? Yeah, but um. Uh, probably the final wouldn't be the first memory that comes to mind. Probably being as an Australian would be that win against Denmark to go through to the round of 16. It was just a surreal moment. Um, you know, we had fans in Melbourne. We've got Federation Square where we gather in public to watch on the big screen and all the flares going off, all the cheering. It was, yeah, crazy scenes went viral on social media. So, yeah, stuff like that is what you sort of remember the most. And even that game against Argentina, we sort of took the world champions all the way and we were close to, to equalising in the last minute and taking it to extra time. So, I mean, it was a great campaign for us. And, yeah, obviously in the final, sort of meant to be for, for Messi, wasn't it? Uh, you know, sort of a last dance sort of scenario. Got his country over the line, just like Diego Maradona did um, all those years ago. And, um, yeah, just the fitting way to end the tournament. I'm sure Maradona was watching from the above sky and just blessing the team yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, last two, three questions that I have for you is about uh, where Australia stands in the world uh, football ranking currently. We're 23rd at the moment. Ranked. 23rd, right? Yeah. You're in the great scene, man. Come on. You are actually a, 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 every sports playing nation. Come on. Cricket, <laughs> football, tennis. Any sport that you are not involved in. So, uh, are you aware about Sheffield Sheet tournament over there? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're yeah. an Italian background, right? You said about that. Yeah, correct. No, born here. Born here in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, yeah, my whole life, basically. So, um, yeah, sort of, you know, learnt everything over here. Done my journalism, everything. Um, experienced you know, sporting life here. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my story. Obviously, you see if you're in journalism, broadcasting one... Uh, what sort of a thing that you have in bag? If you um, can actually store the chain and say me something about your future your prospectus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, after after I graduate, it'll be, um, you know, just trying to look for, 
for any type of experience I can get really, whether that be sort of, you know, more on the writing side or being involved in broadcasting, uh, whichever way it falls, really, I'm open to pretty much everything because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, sports, like I said, it's my passion. Um, I want to cover the game, especially, you know, sports like football and tennis where I've got, you know, a lot of knowledge on. Um, and it'll be just exciting to see um, what the future holds for me. Obviously, got to put in the hard work, um, you know, just keep writing articles and being involved in podcasts, football podcasts, all of that sort of stuff. Just getting your name out there, which is, you know, what I'd advise for any sort of up-and-coming journalist to – uh, to sort of pursue and, and yeah. We're on a podcast as well, right? We're on a podcast. Yeah, correct. Well, that's that's great. Uh, what about on just football or tennis you said about? Tennis is no, nah, just football. Okay, this is what something I have to research, dude, because before coming here, I actually, actually Googled everything about you, you know, not Google, you can say anything. I just, how it all start? Because obviously podcast is something which actually uh, intrigued me a lot of times. What about you, dude? How started all? Uh, so what happened? And uh, if you see the podcast is actually growing in every country, okay, from 2019, yeah. 2020, after after basically after COVID, we see a lot of people who actually got into uh, how should I say in audio platforms, right? Yeah. And this is something which obviously intrigued me. And I really want to ask a lot of people who are actually running. Like I remember from Perth, like I said, I was just talking to someone from uh, Perth, and he's he worked. He works at the DR1 podcast. He'll uh, just run the podcast on DR1. So for me, uh, just knowing that how you conduct the interviews, how you talk to other people, is it the solo cast or you actually go and interview a lot of people like I'm doing right now? Yeah, it's not just me. It's a few other people, um, you know, doing the podcast together. So we collaborate, um, bring different ideas together. We've got someone else doing sort of the editing side of it, which is great. Um, yeah, we try and get a couple of guests on, which is focused on A-League, um, Australian football in general. Um, and, yeah, going really well, enjoying it, um, you know, providing sort of that information to to listeners to enjoy and, um, yeah, consume. So, yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for this small conversation, I would say, because I'm definitely looking for the long-term conversation. But for this, I have to go and research a lot about you and then come here. It was... Um, yeah, pretty good, well balanced. Um, Asked some very good questions. You can tell you done your research, which is really good. Uh, obviously, I think tennis isn't your ex- yeah, 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 so your ex- expertise. But obviously, you did your research, and it's important for any journalist, really, any reporter, to to get that nailed down. So yeah, you did well in that respect. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, at last, you can say that you have also a podcast. You have to do a lot of things. I think a lot of things for as a as a sport journalist for you basically who covers tennis and football both you you are actually busy 24 24 7 actually not 12 months i would say 24 7 because you have a us open you have australian open every sort of things so yeah we look for this and also yeah all the best for your future stand yeah, yeah perfect thanks for having me on really appreciate it cheers, cheers. thank you man. perfect we'll see you soon yeah